You are listening to Tribe Pod, a podcast series of interviews of interest to the HR community. It is hosted by Courtney Lane, produced by Jim Stroud, sponsored by Proactive Talent, and enjoyed by you. Today's episode begins right after this. Recruitment marketing, as compared to maybe employer branding, is all about getting your message and your story in front of the right audience. It's a lot to manage. And what Practic Talent does for our clients is we help centralize. So you have one partner, one vendor to help you manage all those relationships. And not only that, we help you track the effectiveness of every media dollar you spend on hiring so that you know in real time that you're getting the greatest ROI for your marketing investment to attract great talent into your company. We help our clients with recruitment marketing in a couple ways. One is in recruitment marketing strategy. And with that, we really take the time to help you build the right strategy. And then we get mutual approval on that strategy before you spend a single dime. The other way we do this is through our agency of record service. This is a partnership with you where we're able to reach out to publishers on your behalf to negotiate better pricing, to execute on media campaigns, uh, and really act as an extension of your team. Some of the benefits that our clients have seen working with Practic Talents Recruitment Marketing Services is an overall reduction of 30% cost per applicant. That's really significant. It's showing that we're able to leverage great technology, programmatic, and we're also flexible and scalable. We're platform agnostic. We're always gonna use whatever the greatest and latest technology is, whatever the best platforms are to help create efficiencies in your media purchasing so that you're always on the cutting edge. For more information on Proactive Talent, visit them online at proactivetalent.com or click the link in the podcast description. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TribePod podcast. Um, Brittany and Courtney are both tied up with clients today. So it's just me, Jim Stroud. Yay! For better or worse. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully not for worse. I have a special treat for you guys today, a very special guest. Special guest, tell us, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jim. Mm -hmm. So I am Carrie Goyette. I'm a behavioral scientist and I work with organizations all over the world on how do we create awesome cultures that can thrive. Now, are you that famous person I saw on the YouTubes? one of those TED talk things that you? Yes, I have a TED TED talk called Stop Trying to Motivate Your Employees. So it's around the concept of motivation. Really? Tell me more about that for for the sake of those who did not see it, the two or three people who have not seen it. Yeah, yeah. So my postgraduate studies were in psychometrics and neuroscience. And so I've done a lot of research in motivation and people are inherently motivated. And so we need to stop kind of thinking about it from the sense of, you know, either it's on or it's off. Um, motivation is always on. The question is, what type of motivation is it? And that's where we really need to look at um, and be cognizant of the fact that we are unique individuals and we all have unique motivations. And the more we get to know our our teammates, our our people, uh, the more we understand um, what they're motivated by, the more we can build trust, build cohesion, and build a culture Hmm. that's intentional. Okay. Well, that sounds great, but how do I go about finding the behaviors that matter the most for yeah. my business? 
Absolutely. That's a question I get asked a lot by a lot of the CEOs that I work with, you know, mm. how can I start really driving performance? And I've, I've seen this really kind of interesting, um, kind of this interesting trend uh, happen throughout COVID. And I mean, it really started pre-COVID. I think COVID accelerated. But, you know, as humans, we have this in, in, in innate bias in us that, you know, it's the loss aversion bias. So, you know, as leaders, what do we tell our people to do? We want them to do this. Oh, and by the way, and this, and this, and we just like keep piling it on. By Friday. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then we kind of wonder why we're left with employees that are kind of burnt out and worn out. And, and so we really need to get better about looking at what are the key behaviors that drive performance? And that's honestly, Jim, that's the question I've been really studying and, and, and analyzing for over two decades now, because I think mm. people, we look at culture and we look at our people and say, yes, people are important. And they're over here in this bucket. Oh, and then we have these business outcomes. And, and I think that we just haven't been able to really kind of figure out what is it that are the things, the behaviors that people are doing that are actually driving those business outcomes. And almost more importantly, what are the things that are distraction, that's noise, that's not helpful? Um, and I think when we can better answer that question, I think we we actually do our cultures a favor because we can start to eliminate some of the things that we're just throwing at them. And so we've been getting into artificial intelligence, kind of interesting considering I'm a behavioral scientist, but mm. I knew AI wasn't going away. And so one of the advantages AI has is it's, you know, it's great ability to encode a lot of information. And so so we can actually take now all this data that we're collecting, like data from Slack, and we can actually look and see what behaviors are driving um, are driving these outcomes. Or we can look at financial data and look at what are the activities that people are doing, uh, that teams are doing that are truly driving those outcomes. How much are they weighted and why do they matter? And that why they matter is really critical because then that helps us in training. It helps us when we're onboarding new employees. You know, here are the key three things that you really need to focus on. And when we do that, we really help people um, overall to be like, okay, because gosh, I felt like 37 things were coming at me, but now I know like these are the three things, the three key behaviors that drive that. And that's where I would say, you know, data in that space can be our friend. We have a lot of data on behavior that's out there. Do you find that human beings are nervous working with AI and, and the robots and all that kind of stuff? Because I, <laughs> I have images of the Terminator coming through the office. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> shooting things, shooting things up. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Humans and, and robots and AI and all this stuff. I mean, yeah, uh, it's, what do you think of that? It's scary, which is why we decided to dive into it. I mean, it sounds kind of odd because you think that we would kind of run the other way. And part of me wanted to run the other way because, you know, it's, its potential is, is both exciting and scary. And so, but that's the whole reason I decided to dive into it is, if we don't kind of bring the behavioral science aspect, if we really don't think about the humans that are involved in, in partnering, if you will, with AI, then I think we're really missing, we're missing a big equation because to your point, it, we're not gonna trust it. Um, we're not gonna build it ethically and, and with the human in mind. And so that's where, you know, that's, that's the exact reason we wanted to dive into it. So absolutely people should be fearful of it, but not so fearful that we don't engage in the conversation. It is here, it's here to stay. It's gonna continue to, um, you know, to be involved in our everyday lives. So I think that that's where we really need to get in and, and, and be part of the conversation. Yeah. And so when we're talking about AI, that's why we've really researched the different types of AI. 
we're a huge proponent and, and the AI that we use is explainable AI. It's transparent. Um, it shows its work just like humans have to do. I think where we get very um, kind of weary of AI is when it's in a black box and it makes decisions and we don't really know why it made those decisions. Um, but that's where um, we really need to look at how can humans partner? How can humans stay in the driver's seat? Um, AI has to show its work. It has to be transparent. Um, all AI is biased, but it, when it's transparent, we can look at it and say and be able to spot where the biases are and then and then be able to address those biases. This is interesting to me. Let me let me throw um, throw this at you. So uh -huh. I've heard a lot of about this concept called algorithmic management. And I'm thinking about Uber, mm -hmm. for example, the way Uber manages their drivers and, and mm -hmm. they say, you know, I go to the airport now because it's really crowded. Uh, mm -hmm. And they'll have search pricing. I mean, and all that is done by uh, by AI and not a, a human being. Mm -hmm. And Uber drivers just sort of go with the flow. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think we're going to see more of this type of algorithmic management? I mean, Uber comes to mind, but do you see it mm -hmm. uh, in other sort of situations too? And what do you think the pushback would be, if any? Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think um, I do think we will see more of it. I think the pushback to it's it's one thing, um, you know, when it's kind of like a GPS or, you know, we know that it's telling us, whoa, there's traffic in this area. Yeah. You better get to the airport earlier. But when it starts to become, um, I would say, either more personal or you know, dealing with more complex environments, like for instance, I have an insurance company. And so when you look at how underwriters are making decisions, AI can certainly play a role in that. But if you rely, this is where I kind of see where things kind of go wrong. But, you know, I, I have one client where they relied too much on AI. Mm. Um, and, and then all of a sudden they were kind of bleeding out because, you know, AI was doing what it was intended to do. But there were some decisions. There still are decisions that, that humans have to make. And that's where they kind of went too far on the, we're just going to give AI all the control and make all the decisions. And that's not necessarily helpful. And then you have people on the other end of the spectrum that don't even want to engage with, with AI at all. So I, I don't think it's a one size fits all. And yeah, I, I do think we are going to see more of that. And I think we're going to see some areas where it's making some mistakes and we kind of have to course correct. I'm glad people are thinking about it, but you're glad you're thinking about it because <laughs> I've seen a lot of different articles, which made me scratch my head because um, I've seen some companies experiment and go a little bit too far. I'm thinking about Amazon, mm -hmm. for example, they had this, this thing where they wanted to um, uh, hire more people and they mm -hmm. used this uh, algorithm that screened out women, I think, um, mm -hmm. because they were just focusing on the random sample of, of data they had was all around men. So it preferred men uh, of a certain age and sort versus no women because it was tracking on the data that input into the system. And it took them a while to figure that out. But that's an example of how you can trust too much in a machine uh, and take out human, human um, decision making. I think, um, you know, I think that might be, you, you tell me, that might just be the, the main point in dealing with any kind of science or any kind of new technology yeah. is don't let it become a crutch to you. You, you got to have the human right. part in there. You, you know? do. And, and technology in and of itself isn't necessarily good or bad. It's, it's how the human uses it. How do we use it? How are we partnering with it? And, and in all fairness, like we're learning. I mean, humans, we're having to catch up. You know, the, the pandemic, I mean, we advanced, gosh, 
probably 10 years <laughs> technology wise in about 10 months. And so as, as humans, as people, we're kind of catching up. We're a little, a little behind the curve there. So there are going to be, be mistakes. We are going to bumble around a little bit, but, but I would say, yeah, the more that we're kind of catching those things and we're seeing, yeah, that's bias. Like if we're looking at all male data, then that's a problem. And again, it's another reason why I'm a huge fan of explainable AI. Like we, you know, AI really should be showing its work. We should be able to look at the data samples and see um, what it's comprised of um, because there are ways that you can easily address that. You know, if all of our current sample is all white men, then, yeah. then we need to be adding in additional samples of, you know, uh, yeah, different ethnicities, different genders. For sure, for sure. I, as you say that, and maybe it's just this vibe you're giving off, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> these, these different things. Um, I am trying to imagine a situation where um, a job seeker applies for a job. <clears throat> Excuse me. They don't get the job for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But they don't blame themselves. Uh, they don't uh, blame their resume. They just said that the company discriminated against me in some way because I submitted my resume and my resume is perfect for this job. And I, I didn't get mm-hmm. no one looked, looked at me or talked to me or anything like that. And so the company can say, you know what, it's, it's, it's not used. Um, it's just the, the criteria that we use of our magic algorithm, AI, just didn't think your resume made the cut. And so, so the job seeker says, you know what? I know I should get that job or at least be interviewed for it. And your algorithm discriminated against me. What's your secret sauce for how your algorithm picks out candidates? I want to see it because I demand to be hired because I know <laughs> I'm perfect, right? Yeah. And so all that to say, mm-hmm. is there in the future maybe, or maybe it's happening, I just don't know about it. Is there some kind of governing body that just randomly tests these different algorithms to make sure that they're not too biased or, or, mm-hmm. or overly discriminatory or whatever. If not, yeah. there'll be like a great side gig for somebody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're starting to see more government regulations around that, like the mm. state of New York um, kind of jumped in. Uh, always when you're dealing with like regulating things, there's always a lag, you know, regulation, policy, um, that's always going to lag behind the technology. Sure and so again, it's not surprising that we're not seeing a lot of that, but, but there is a lot of demand from the market um, that's saying, how do we know? How do we know you're not biased? And so that's where people are, are using the word transparent. My problem with that is when we dug into that a little bit more, what they're doing is like they're being transparent about their process and they're auditing it, but it doesn't necessarily mean... <clears throat> the algorithm is transparent by design. Whereas when we, um, our algorithms are transparent by design. So from the way they're built, like every step of the way you can see it rather than just us saying, here's the results that we got. Now let's go back and audit it. And you can see our process. So, I mean, that gets technical and not everybody, most people don't understand the difference, um, but that's, that's kind of why we're in this space to help educate people and say, no, you know, we really, especially when you're dealing with human data, if you're making hiring decisions, mm-hmm. if you're making people related decisions, your algorithms really should be explainable by design, not just in process that we audit after. Ooh, good answer. Question for you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a curveball at you. Uh, uh, thinking about your TED talk, how, how do I uh, build culture in a work from home environment? Because if everybody's remote and everybody's doing their own thing, <laughs> yeah, how can you build a culture that keeps everybody together if uh, we're not all in the same room? 
How's that yeah. possible? Uh, number one, let me just state that and, and just be honest and say mm. it is harder. I mean, it's just harder when you're not there mm. in person. There's a lot of exchanges that happen non-verbally. So even just the fact that while this podcast is only going to be audio, but the fact that we're video, Jim, I can see you, I can see your facial expressions, but in person, I can see even more because it's a bit more three-dimensional and I can see, you know, different, different aspects of your expressions. There's so much that passes um, through that. Also, when we know that when we also know that when we're in person, we do more brainstorming together. We also laugh a little bit more together. And there's some interesting research out on laughing that that just creates an emotional bond, more trust, you know, Zoom, people get Zoom fatigue. And so there's just kind of a little bit less creativity, a little less kind of just laughing and and having fun together. So I will say, yeah, there are some challenges. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't be overcome and and they should, um, we should be able to overcome them. But part of it is we have to create some sort of cohesiveness to build Mm. culture. We can't just throw words up on a wall and say, these are our core values. They actually have to be lived lived out in in behaviors and actions that we take. So if that's just like, you know, the way that we structure our meetings, kind of the fun that we have, you know, across the organization. So think about like how we do our work, how we coordinate and collaborate and how we just build relationships together. There has to be that sense of cohesiveness to where we feel like we're part of a team. The second thing I would say is they've got, people have got to feel that this is, that what they're doing is meaningful work. It is so important to really unleash their motivation that they have to feel that it's meaningful. And what I've seen from leaders over the pandemic is especially virtually, we're just kind of throwing tasks at them. Like, you know, here are the 10 things I need you to get done this week. Mm. Well, that doesn't really create a sense of meaning and people are coming to work for an organization. It may not say it on their resume, but we're all looking for meaning and purpose. We're looking for a culture where we feel like we get to do that. Now we know that not every piece of you know work that we touch or do is going to be meaningful, but in general, it needs to be meaningful. And leaders can do this by just kind of talking about the why. This is really important. This is how it helps the team, help them connect it to those outcomes. And then when those outcomes um, actually manifest, then you need to be saying, wow, the work that you contributed on that project, we just got killer testimonials from our clients on it. They were so happy. And that makes them feel like, wow, that work that I did was was highly meaningful. Talk about the progress. We all, I mean, just like if we go to a football game, we want a scoreboard because we want to see, is our team winning or losing? Are they progressing? How many yards did they gain? Um, Same thing. We kind of forget to say like, gosh, Look at how far we came since last month on this project. Yes, it's a big, hairy project, but look at the progress that we made. And so there are multiple ways that we can create meaningful work, but in a, in sometimes in a, in a virtual environment, we forget to do that as much. And then finally, create a sense of clarity. Um, we have to help employees cut through the noise. And this came out loud and strong in, in the pandemic when everybody went remote just we lose a little bit of clarity. We lose a little bit of resolution. So those conversations around the water cooler, around the coffee bar, you know, little bitty conversations just add additional data and clarity to what we're doing. And when we don't have that, we're just missing some of the puzzle pieces. So we need to make sure we're never going to create a sense of certainty because we have no idea how things are going to roll out, but we can create, we can help them create clarity. And I can't say that enough because the brain is striving for clarity. It wants clarity. It will help 
It will help people move forward. We know with motivation to act, they have to go towards something and we're more likely to act and go towards something when we have a sense of clarity for it because our brain is just doing calculations and it's like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be headed that direction, go. But if it's just like, oh, which direction do I go? We sit and we kind of look and we may overanalyze and we may just kind of wait uh, for additional clarity. So if we really want to unleash motivation, we've got to create that sense of clarity. So those are the three big things I would say that are, are absolutely um, integral in creating a culture and a work from home environment. Cool. Uh, you mentioned about losing uh, clarity and losing a few things. Um, one other thing too, that I think we're, we've lost, or at least it's been my experience in dealing with some customer service people I've worked, I had to deal with uh, recently um, is that I wonder if we're losing uh, our emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, uh, being able to just talk to somebody and, and having some kind of empathy as to why my computer broke down. They could have just said, yeah. you know what, we're on it. You know, sorry about that. Um, have you tried this? Try turning it on and off again. It's like, yeah, I tried that <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of I think a lot of us because of the remote space and the the mask and the not touching and the six feet apart, mm-hmm. I think we're we're losing that emotional intelligence. Can you speak on that? Do you have any insight on on EI at all? Yeah, yeah. I you know again it's it's somewhat anecdotal right now as mm. as kind of the we continue to collect data, but yeah, I would say we are losing that. That's why we're seeing like you know even on airlines we're seeing people be really verbally abusive to flight attendants. Yes. Um, and, and we're just, you know, we have a lot of pent up frustration, a lot of burnt out burnout. And on top of that, you know, as you said, all those factors having to socially distance, we're remote. Um, it just decreases our empathy. And, and again, the fact that we're not building relationships, we're not telling those stories, we're not laughing together. I mean, all of those things are what help make humans humans. It, it gives us that sense of empathy, that sense of wanting to um, build relationships. And so, yeah, I, I would say that's, that's absolutely true. It all makes for interesting times. It does. Uh, you have a wealth of knowledge, uh, <laughs> wise woman, you, <laughs> if someone wanted more of your knowledge and wanted to connect with you, what are ways they can, uh, they can find you online? Yeah, you can uh, go to our website at thinkaperio.com. We have a lot of free resources. I've written um, a lot of articles, HBR articles and and articles um, in many different publications that are free. We also have a free download from my book, uh, The Non-Obvious Guide to Emotional Intelligence. So there's a Mm. free download there. And then of course you can find my book on Amazon um, as well. So encourage you to do that as as well. So lots of places to interact with us and of course, social media as well. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for being in the Tripod Podcast. We appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times. Thank you for listening to the Tripod Podcast. If you have a question or comment, please email us at tripod, that's T-R-I-B-E-P-O-D, at proactivetalent.com. Operators are standing by. Thank you so much again for listening, and please share this podcast with a friend.